Very good. All right. Well, if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to the New Testament. We are in the book of Acts. We are in Acts 16 this morning. And as Jeff said, we are on this sermon series called Blessed to be a Blessing. And the big idea behind this sermon series uh, for much of the year 2023 is we are really looking at how God has blessed us and celebrating the blessings in our lives, how God has gifted us, and how God invites us um, to not just hoard our gifts, hoard our blessings, uh, but truly to share them um, uh, with others in the world. Um, God has gifted you. And sometimes we think, well, I'm not very gifted, or I can't really, you know, do what other people who are really super talented, we look around and see other people. But the truth is, God has given you gifts, and he wants you to enjoy them, to celebrate them, identify them, and certainly, most certainly, to share them. So today, we are looking at a guy by the name of Timothy. And most of you, you're like, oh, Timothy, I know that name. I've heard that name before. Uh, he is a familiar guy. And Timothy shows up in the New Testament actually quite a bit. Uh, interestingly, um, we don't know if Timothy ever met Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, any of those in the Gospels. Uh, he might have been a little child. Uh, he was a young guy. Um, uh, but, but there's no recording of Timothy in any of the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. However, Timothy does show up 28 times uh, throughout the early church um, in, frankly, uh, nine of the books in the New Testament, which is a lot, right? I mean, there's 27 books in the New Testament, and Timothy gets a shout-out nine different times. So uh, that means, you know, he, he's, he's there. He's there over and over and over. And uh, two of the books in the New Testament uh, are named after him. We call him First and Second Timothy. Now, to be clear, Timothy did not write those books. He was the recipient of letters from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And we know these as uh, the pastoral epistles. And uh, as you think about it, or if I just kind of throw out there, well, what, what did Timothy do? What, did, what were his accomplishments why does he get so much ink in the New Testament? Why does he keep uh, showing up over and over and over? And I don't, we don't know, you know, that Timothy was, I'll just say, incredibly gifted, if he was uh, extraordinarily talented. But he does show up time after time. And the thing about Timothy is he is a guy that really stands in the gap between good and evil, between light and darkness, between truth and falsehood. His name shows up, and there he is. And so I've given us an image to kind of look at this morning. He's not this great big personality, this person who's just like, oh man, so gifted, so talented. But he's just this guy. He is there over and over and over. So we're going to look at the life of Timothy today and the ways in which God called him to serve in ministry and in the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new day, for the gathering of your people. And so, Lord, as we prepare our hearts and minds to read about Timothy, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
in the fourth century, there was a Jesus follower by the name of Telemachus. And Telemachus looked around in the world and he saw things were bad. Things were really hard. And he kind of wanted to retreat from the world. And this is the time in the life of the church where uh, places, people were, were popping up, places were popping up where people would gather together. They would retreat from the world because they just saw all the horrible things going on in the world. It's very different than today, right? I mean, we can appreciate this, this idea as Jesus followers. Ah, oh, there's so much bad going on. That was the story of Telemachus in terms of kind of how his story began. He was just a real strong Jesus follower. And he, more than anything, he wanted to please God. He wanted to serve God. And so he, he got away. He went out into uh, the, the wilderness, out into the desert, to just really get away from people. And while he was there, he spent his day and night, just his time completely devoted to God and in reading the scriptures, in prayer, and just this idea of devotional life. And, and, and in lots and lots of solitude. And one day Telemachus was praying, and as he was standing up from his kneeling prayer, he kind of sensed that God was speaking to him, that he wasn't actually being selfless in this time away, this retreat from the world, but he was actually being selfish. Because God was saying, Telemachus, I need you to do something for me. I need you to serve in the world. And I don't know if God has ever spoken to you or called to you, but for me, when God invites me to do something, it's always a little bit fuzzy. It's not always exactly clear. Okay, God, I know you've called me. I know you've invited me to do something in the world, but I'm not exactly sure what it is you want me to do. And so there's Telemachus out in the wilderness, out in the desert, and he thinks to himself, well, I probably need to go to the city. Because we all know in the city that's filled with lots and lots of people, lots and lots of temptation, lots and lots of sin. And so uh, Telemachus, he was, he was a monk. He didn't have anything. And so he literally uh, begged his way uh, from Turkey, where he was living, all the way to the, the greatest city that he could think of, which, of course, is Rome. And so as he's walking in the streets of Rome, there's just people everywhere and, and noise and, and he's just kind of overwhelmed and he's just kind of following what's going on. And on that day, the day that Telemachus arrived in the city of Rome, there was a great big festival going on. There was a parade and so he just kind of started walking along the parade route. And what he discovered is that the Romans had just defeated the Goths in battle. And the general was there up there on his horse, and right next to him was the young emperor, and, and they're all walking toward the Colosseum. And there's this grand festival, and Telemachus just kind of got caught up in the hoopla of the city and the noise. And so on that day, he entered into the Colosseum. 80,000 people are gathered in the Colosseum that day, and they're doing some chariot races. He's like, this is kind of interesting, all that's going on. Gee, I wonder what God is calling me to do. And then after the chariot races were finished, they announced, we will now begin the gladiator games. He didn't know what that was, but he soon learned that the gladiator games was actually the, the prisoners. It was the Goths. It was the people that they had just conquered. They brought them in they, and, and they were slaves. And what the slaves were supposed to do is, of course, fight one another to the death. And so Telemachus is watching all that is going on. And so these two guys come into the middle of the Colosseum. They stand before the Caesar and they're like, Hail Caesar, we who are about to die, we honor you. 
And Telemachus is kind of taking it in, wondering what in the world is going on. And pretty soon, of course, they get out these different weapons and they start battling one another to the death. And Telemachus is taken back because Rome at this time, it had just become a Christian nation, a, a Christian empire. And he's thinking to himself, what is going on? Jesus teaches about life. And here are these people in this Roman colony, in this Roman place, all of a sudden fighting to the death. And there was this great disconnect in his head. What are these people doing? But it was a holdover from pagan times. And yet the Christians were engaging in the pagan culture. And he was so overwhelmed, he didn't really think about it. But he all of a sudden jumped into the ring in the middle of the Colosseum. And he stood between these two gladiators and he said, stop it. And the, the audience, they were like, what in the world? They thought it was part of the show. And there was a silence. He's like, stop fighting. And then you know what happened with the audience. They start chanting, kill kill, kill, right? This is this kind of bloodlust, right? They want to see some, if you've ever been to like a professional hockey game, you know, it's uh, just waiting for the fight to break out. That's what happens with mobs and they're chanting and yelling and screaming and they want to see somebody die. They want to see lots of violence. They want to see blood be spilled. And so Telemachus steps in the middle of these gladiators again and says, stop it. Well, at this point in time, the gladiators, they had kind of had it. And so one of them took his sword and he just immediately killed Telemachus, stabbed him. He fell to the ground. There was silence in the Colosseum. In that moment, it was almost like there was this collective gasp and this, oh, what we've been doing is wrong. The Colosseum, completely silent. And people stood up from their seats and they walked out. And never again were there gladiator games in the Colosseum in Rome. Telemachus wondered about what his purpose in life was. And it was really about standing in the gap between good and evil light and darkness, truth and falsehood, life and death. And I think in many ways, this is the story of Timothy, a man who stood in the gap, a man who we know today, but we don't know a lot of his details. And so I'm going to kind of shed a little bit of uh, details on Timothy's life this morning. Timothy grew up uh, and was raised in an area called Lystra. It's in modern-day Turkey. It was a Roman colony. And it was kind of a, considered the edge of the, the civilized world. So there was a Roman garrison there to protect the people from the, the invaders, the invading tribes from the north. And we meet Timothy when the Apostle Paul comes through on a second missionary journey. Acts 16 records this. The Apostle Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Now, we never really learn much about Timothy's father. We don't know whether he died, 
We don't know whether he just left the family, but more or less, Timothy grew up with his mom. Her name was Eunice and his grandmother, Lois. And they became the influential people in young Timothy's life. So this is what we know about his family. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So we also learn that Timothy had a reputation. In the community, people had a positive rep. They spoke well of him. He was a teenager. He was a young guy, probably. We don't exactly know how old. But I think it's interesting that, that Scripture tells us that this guy already had a positive reputation. As I think about young Timothy, as Jeff said at the top of the service, he's, he's kind of that next generation guy, right? And I think about the ways and how important it is for us as a congregation to be pouring in to the next generation. And a lot of Sundays, I get to be Tim Moore's wingman uh, as he gathers together with the youth of the congregation. And it's just a great time to pour into, to study scripture and to understand and learn and grow what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so tomorrow uh, evening, actually, uh, the youth of our congregation are going to be going over to Carriage Crossing and, and serving there. And I think it's important for you as a congregation to know that this is really a priority for us, pouring in to the next generation, much like Paul is pouring in to young Timothy. Verse 3, Paul wanted to take Timothy along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Timothy, he's already a Jesus follower. He's already somebody who has a strong faith. He's got a reputation. And Paul sees something in Timothy. I don't know whether Timothy is, uh, you know, charismatic. I don't know whether he's got a twinkle in his eye. I don't know what it is about him. We don't really know, but there's something magnetic between Paul and Timothy. And Paul says, ah, you're going to be destined for something really, really important. And so uh, it says that uh, he has him uh, circumcised. And now Paul wasn't hung up on uh, circumcision. We know this from Scripture. He didn't think this was essential. He didn't think this was absolutely necessary. Paul had Timothy circumcised for pragmatic reasons because there were Jews living in the area. And he knew that if Timothy was not circumcised, that the Jews in that area, they wouldn't give him the time of day. And so this is why Paul does this uh, with young Timothy. Paul's very pragmatic. He's always looking for a way to share the gospel with people. And Paul knew his audiences wherever he went. So he said, Timothy, you're not going to like this, but we need to have you circumcised so that you can minister to the Jews. Verse 4, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. Now, I love what uh, Luke, uh, the writer of the book of Acts, he says, they traveled from town to town. I mean, you got to know this is a gross understatement for how much time the Apostle Paul and Timothy spent together. They went everywhere. Paul, the Apostle Paul and Timothy were like this. 
They just did everything together. They served together everywhere they went. In fact, we read uh, that Timothy was with the Apostle Paul uh, as Paul was writing 2 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon's, and Paul's magnum opus, Romans. Each one of those books, he says, I and Timothy. He gives Timothy a shout out in all those New Testament books, which I think is pretty extraordinary. And I can't help but wonder, was Timothy actually a, a co-writer with the Apostle Paul with many of these uh, New Testament books? This is how much time they spent together. Paul would write a letter. There's Timothy right next to him or maybe across from the table. And they would have this conversation as Paul is writing. And Paul would be like, hey, Timothy and I want to encourage you. Timothy and I want to correct you. Timothy and I want to strengthen you. And so Timothy is just there over and over and over. And Paul recognizes him uh, as being fully part of the ministry. Also, when Timothy was not with Paul writing letters and in, engaged in ministry, Paul viewed Timothy as a really important person, almost like as an emissary. Someone, if there was a difficult task to do, a difficult job, he would be like, all right, uh, I need uh, something done. Uh, it's, 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 this is really difficult. This is really hard. Uh, I've got to be able to trust this person. Oh, I'm going to send Timothy. So on occasion, Paul would send Timothy to different places to serve as his representative, as his spokesperson, to kind of be a leader in the life of the church. So they were either together a lot, doing ministry together, or whenever Paul needed something done, he would send his right-hand man, Timothy, to go and do it. Now, perhaps the greatest difficult assignment that Paul sent Timothy on was one day they were uh, traveling around and they landed in a place called Ephesus. And Ephesus was a, an, an incredibly difficult place because it was kind of the center of all sorts of religions. And Ephesus is known uh, for Artemis, which is the, the fertility goddess. And so people would travel from all over the place to worship Artemis, this fertility goddess, so that their crops and their animals and all that good stuff, they would have a good year. There were pagan temples everywhere throughout Ephesus. And Paul recognized how important Ephesus was uh, for the life of the early church. It was incredibly strategically important. And so Paul says to, to Timothy, I want you to be the associate pastor of the church, of the congregation in Ephesus. So that was the difficult challenge for him. But this is how much Paul trusted him because Ephesus was key to making the gospel known uh, to the community and to the world. Paul loved Timothy so much, he describes him because, again, we don't know much about Timothy's father. Paul kind of adopts him. He says, I love him like a son. This is how important Timothy was to the apostle Paul. I think one of the main messages as I look at all the references to Timothy over and over throughout the New Testament. It's not so much what Timothy accomplished. It's not all the things he did. It's not all the great talents, not all the great skills, not all the stuff that he did in his life, but it's who he was. We know of Timothy today because of his character. In the book that we're reading uh, called uh, Discover Your Gifts, Chapter 3 is all about this idea of everyone is called. Everyone is called, and I know we might hear that language of everyone is called, and we think to ourselves, 
that's a little strong, isn't it? Come on. I mean, we know missionaries are called. We know pastors are called. We know church staff are called. But everyone called? And the idea is that yes, absolutely. Throughout Scripture, God calls each and every person to follow him and to serve him. And calling is kind of a church word, and I think there's a little bit of a stigma to it. It's this idea of, ah, I think God calls other people. God just doesn't call me. But the truth is, a calling is simply an invitation from God to do something. A calling is an invitation to do holy work and ordinary tasks. A calling is spiritual. It's divine in nature. And so a calling might look like ordinary work. But the invitation, because the invitation comes from God, there's something special and unique about it. And as we look at calling throughout Scripture, time and time again, we see there's really two different kinds of callings. There's a primary calling and a secondary calling. Now there's a, a theologian, a guy by the name of Oz Guinness, uh, he's from Ireland. Uh, he writes about this. And, and Oz Guinness is not a pastor. In fact, uh, he is the great, 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 great grandson of the beer maker back in Dublin. And the name Guinness Beer. So that, he also went to Oxford. He's a pretty smart guy too. And he studied theology. And this is what he writes about in his book, The Call, Finding and Fulfilling the Central Purpose of Your Life. He says, our primary calling as followers of Christ is by him, to him, and for him. First and foremost, we are called to someone, God, not to something, such as motherhood, politics, or teaching, or to somewhere, such as the inner city, or outer Mongolia. So Oz Guinness says, hey, you know, I make beer. My primary calling is to someone. That's God. So as a, you know, I, I'm called. But you're also called. God has called you for really important work. Guinness continues on. We can therefore properly say as a matter of secondary calling that we are called to homemaking or to the practice of law or to art history, or teaching, or um, insurance companies, or businesses. All sorts of things, those daily tasks. And I would even add to being a, a parent, being a spouse, being a sibling, being a friend, being a neighbor. These are all secondary callings. But these and other things are always secondary, never the primary calling. These are callings rather than the calling. They are a personal answer to God's address, address, our response to God's summons. Secondary callings matter, but only because the primary calling matters most. So there's two callings that each one of us get as we go through our lives. And what Oz Guinness says, and I think he's right, it's really important that we get these right. 
our calling is always as Christ followers first in our relationship with God. Oftentimes I see Christians or certainly people in the world and they think about their calling, they think about the tasks, they think about their profession, they think about the things that they do day in and out. And those are for sure callings, but those are secondary callings after their primary calling, after all of our uh, primary callings. When I was in, in seminary, I had a professor, um, as I was training to be a pastor, he said, hey, never forget this, guys. Room full of pastors in training. Ministry flows out of being. Ministry flows out of being. And what he was saying to us is that when you become a pastor, you are going to be tempted to spend a lot of time on delivering a sermon you're going to be tempted to spend a lot of time on effective teaching. You're going to be tempted to spend a lot of time in counseling. You're going to be tempted to spend a lot of time offering a grief care for those who are mourning loss. And those are all really important things. But your primary calling as pastors in the life of the church is to be in relationship with Jesus, to walk with him day in and day out. And I am so grateful for that advice that I got all those years ago. Because I got to tell you, in the 30 years that I've uh, been serving in ministry, I have met pastor after pastor after pastor that has prioritized the callings in the life of the church. We wear many hats. I know many of you wear many hats as well. And I know many pastors, and you might know pastors that have so prioritized the work of the church, the work of the ministry, that they have actually lost their faith. They've stopped walking with Jesus because they got the order wrong. They forgot their primary calling. Which is kind of crazy, right? You, you, you think about this. Well, you're around people all the time. You pray all the time. You read the Bible all the time. Do you know I can write a sermon without walking with Jesus? I can do all the things I do as a pastor and I, without my primary calling, I can do that easily. The temptation is there, folks. Just because I read the Bible to prepare a sermon doesn't mean I'm automatically walking with Christ. I've got to make that a priority in my life. And you do too. I know many of you are involved in all sorts of really important things, your day jobs, in relationships. And because you're a Jesus follower, because you're a Christian, you might think to yourself, well, I'm a Christian and I'm, I'm a husband. I'm a Christian and I'm a business person. I'm a Christian and uh, I, I serve out in the world. That ought to be enough. But we don't put these things together oftentimes. And we get them out of order. One of the things I love about Timothy is it, we don't really learn that he does much. He doesn't really accomplish much, shall we say. What's most important for all of us to know about Timothy, it's not what he did. It's who he was. He focused on his relationship with Jesus over and over and over. And so what we learn throughout the New Testament is he was incredibly faithful. I personally think that Timothy had the gift of faith. 
an extraordinary faith, just not a little bit of faith like me, but an incredible amount of faith to, to withstand all sorts of obstacles and, and challenges in his life. He's very courageous time and time again. In fact, we learn that uh, after Paul, uh, uh, after Paul um, died, Paul's last letter was to Timothy, 2 Timothy. He says, hey, Timothy, here's some final instructions. So I'm getting ready to pass on the mantle to you. And then he writes in 2 Timothy, don't forget my coat. It's really cold here in Rome. I'm in a, a Roman cell. I'm about ready to be executed. I love that Paul writes that to Timothy. Don't forget my coat. I'm cold. It's in the Bible. Don't forget my coat. But it's, there's this connection of relationship. Timothy shows up, presumably with the coat. Paul is executed. Timothy goes on. He goes back to Ephesus, this time not as the associate pastor, but as the senior pastor of the church. And Timothy very faithfully serves in the church for years and years and years. Pretty quietly, again, in this uh, metropolitan city filled with lots of pagan uh, practices. And one day, Timothy hears there's some noise going on outside. It's a, a, a pagan festival. So he goes out there to talk to them. He explains to them the difference between light and darkness, truth and falsehood, goodness and evil. And they don't like what he has to say. You ever notice that uh, in our day and time, people really don't want to hear the truth? We speak the truth, we proclaim the truth, and we get, you know, people don't want to hear it. Oh, you're just haters. You don't want to, you know, you want me to just ruin my fun, right? People don't want to hear the truth. But Timothy wasn't afraid to speak the truth. So they took out clubs and they beat him to death. And Timothy disappears from the pages of history. Very kind of nonchalant. We just, we just don't ever hear about him again. This is the life of Timothy. A guy just stood in the gap and proclaimed truth over falsehood, light over darkness, love over hate. And I think for us this morning, my challenge for you and for me is that how are we living out our faith like Timothy? I know we want to understand our gifts, our talents, our secondary callings, but I think as Jesus followers, the most important thing we can do is to lean into our primary calling, and that's to walk with Jesus. And I think the more we walk with Christ, the more we lean into and live into our primary calling to be in that relationship with Jesus, he'll let us know. He'll let us know about the people we're supposed to talk to, the places we're supposed to go, but we should never, ever neglect the importance of walking with Jesus. And I think when we do, we too, like Timothy, can stand in the gap of all that divides us from the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this extraordinary man, Timothy. God, we don't know if he was gifted or not, but we do know that he was faithful and he walked with you and that, God, you used him. And so, Lord, as we, we consider about how you are calling us in our primary calling, in our secondary callings. Remind us, God, that the order always matters. 
that what we do and how we spend our time is secondary to our walk with you. So remind us on this day, God, remind us tomorrow and remind us the rest of the week that when we have you at the center of our lives, we have everything we need to serve you in this world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.